Hi, everybody. Cheryl Ackeson here. Welcome to another edition of the Cheryl Ackeson podcast on justthenews.com. I hope you will hurry and pre-order my new book that's coming out in November, but available now. It's called Slanted, How the News Media Taught Us to Love Censorship and Hate Journalism. Today, I'm going to talk about the latest chilling example of big tech censorship online, censorship of ideas and facts, and I'll start a series that I'll be doing analyzing media mistakes in the era of Trump. First, we are going to take a look at big tech censorship of ideas and facts and strategies and tactics which really seem endless in terms of how many they can use and how they can influence what we see and what we're able to access online. And when I use examples from my own personal experience, it's not because I think that anything I recognize or that's happened to me is more important than what's happened to anybody else. It's just a frame of reference. It shows you if I can find these examples or I know of them firsthand, imagine what we don't know about that may be occurring. In this case, I wanted to talk about something that Google and Google Ads has been doing. Um, It's a little bit arcane to discuss. I don't want to get too bogged down in the weeds. But when you have a website like mine, CherylAckeson.com, you can sign up to let Google place some random ads on your site that earns a little bit of money. In my case, goes toward maintenance costs of the website. So if people, I guess, click on the ads, it funnels pennies, sometimes maybe a few dollars, at least in my case. To, uh, to fund your website. And you don't really know what ads are going up. You don't have control over what ads appear. Google does this automatically. As part of this, you, the website owner, as you're monetizing your website in this way, may get notices of either violations or problems that Google finds that makes your website something that Google does not want to show in search results or does not want to place ads on for some reason. And this has almost never happened to me until fairly recently. And there have been a couple of what I consider suspicious incidents. Let me try to describe them. In one case, I got a notice from Google Ads that said, in essence, I was being punished and that my ability to have a certain type of ad on my website to earn any funds was being diminished or taken away. And when I tried to find out why, you kind of click around on these notices. It said it was because of a post that I had posted many months ago um, that they said violated some sort of policy. So I went to look at what the post was. The post was simply an excerpt from a Real Clear Investigations article. Sometimes I excerpt interesting articles on my website, and then I link to the article. In this case, it was an original article in which Real Clear Investigations was about the only entity that discussed a controversial person that was called by some a whistleblower who complained about President Trump's dealings with Ukraine, which ultimately led to the impeachment of President Trump. But it all began, you may remember, with someone again saying it was a whistleblower whose identity 
although known to many, or at least this alleged person was known to many, was protected in the media, something the news media, especially at this day and age, doesn't typically do. Normally they try to out or source somebody who's making such important allegations that are being relied upon. In this case, very controversial allegations that were in dispute and the terms of his whistleblowing were in dispute. And yet somebody deemed it a matter of policy almost that everybody agreed to in the media almost that this name was not to be uttered. Well, the one media outlet, Real Clear Investigations, that I found that named the whistleblower and discussed details of the controversy surrounding him, named him because it said the name was in the public's interest and it was learning details in an effort to remove a sitting president from office. Furthermore, Real Clear Investigations said the official status as a whistleblower was complicated or at least under question by some who thought there was an arguable political bias in favor of a rival political candidate at the time. So anyway, this was an interesting article that I linked to sometime earlier, I believe it was October of 2019. All these months later, I get a notice from Google Ads that basically my website is being punished because I had an article that linked to this article. And it doesn't really give you a way to offer to remedy it, not that I would have taken the article down anyway, but the one control they have on this platform, they can't take my blog down, but they can demonetize it. So in this way, I was punished. That's number one. Made me wonder who was going through posts. How many months later, from October of last year to now we're talking about this was happening in maybe May or June, who is going through these old posts that could stand to either perhaps help President Trump or perhaps hurt an opponent or has a perceived political spin that they don't like? Who is it who's going through these and flagging them all these months later as we go into the election? I don't have the answer to that. I'm only telling you there is big tech censorship of some kind. You can look at this article yourself because I say the best way to fight this form of censorship is not to feed it. Let's go look at this article that they don't want you to read. And you can find it on my website. For a little while, I'm going to paste it on the homepage, stick it there. But you can always search for it. It's called, Who is the Whistleblower That's Trying to Take Down Trump? So if you search on my website, sherlaxon.com, whistleblower, or who is the whistleblower, this should come up for you. And again, I'm simply linking to an article, an investigation done by Real Clear Investigations. You can make up your own mind what you think about the material there, but I don't think it should be censored or punished. Another thing that happened with Google Ads during the same time period is Google notified me that there were problems with a couple of the pages. These were two different occasions and that Google was having trouble, its crawlers were having trouble recognizing the page. And again, I don't even understand these technical details. You may know more than I do. But the bottom line is, if your page is hard for the Google automated crawlers to see, I guess it will not return these pages or your website in searches. Google wants very good pages that look a certain way um, to be returned in its search results And you have to work pretty hard, at least I did, to get my website to meet these restrictions and requirements, which are not really laid forth in any easy way to understand. I had to hire people to help me do it. 
In any event, they're telling me that a couple of the pages don't meet the requirements. And therefore, again, I'm being penalized by something being done to withhold ads, some kind of thing that must be fixed. So I go in to see where the problem pages are, and I click on them, and it says a 404 error as if they don't exist. But I know these pages do exist, and I go and find them on my own on my website, not clicking what Google says it has a problem with, but clicking the actual page on my website, and it's there. So in other words, the story's not there, when Google Ads notifies me there's a problem with the page, but it really is there when I click into it myself. So I tried to figure out what was going on, and I compare the URL or the website address for the page in question. I, I compared what Google Ads had to the actual real address that was on my website, and it was different. Somebody in each case had somehow inserted a stray word into the title of this website page that didn't exist. The word didn't exist in the real title, but now Google is, someone is telling Google or Google is inserting a word that doesn't exist to make the page where if you click on this link, you will not go to the real page. You go to a 404 error. All I know is this somehow makes it where the pages that were quite popular in this case for people to see somehow I believe were tampered with, but were changed in some way. That's undeniable. The URL addresses were changed where people wouldn't access them as easily or they wouldn't turn up in searches and or I was being punished for them. So let's find out one of those pages um, because I think you should go read it. Why did someone want to tamper with this? You can decide for yourself. But it was about the affidavit or the testimony from a Dr. Andrew Zimmerman, a former government expert, a pro-vaccine expert, who testified on behalf of the government in favor of vaccines to say that they cannot cause autism, who came up with an affidavit sworn some years later that I reported on about a year and a half ago, where he acknowledged or at least said vaccines can cause autism after all. Of course, this shakes up the whole medical establishment because this is a pro-vaccine expert used by the government itself. So when he says, hey, the science has changed, and we do know vaccines can cause autism and do on some occasions, this is a big deal. But of course, this story was controversialized by Media Matters and the other pharma interests. And it looks to me like someone is trying to make it where this story is not as accessible on my website. So you can find that by searching at CherylAxon.com. You can search Zimmerman, the name of the Johns Hopkins neurologist involved. The title of one of the stories, the one involved that had been changed, was Dr. Andrew Zimmerman's full affidavit on alleged link between vaccines and autism that U.S. government covered up. Because Dr. Zimmerman said in his affidavit that was sworn that he informed the government as their expert that vaccines can cause autism after all in exceptional cases, and he claims they misrepresented his opinion in court and covered it up. So it's an important story. You can decide what you believe or don't believe. You can decide he's not credible, you know, if you like, but his affidavit is on my website as well as his curriculum vitae or, you know, all the published articles that he's published in the past and his background, plus my full measure story on, on this very subject. All of that is to say there are ways that I see 
that it looks like big tech can keep certain stories from showing up in common searches, particularly popular stories that are off the narrative of powerful political and corporate interests. And I think that's what's happening here. Do I know technically exactly how this is being accomplished? Do I know who's behind it and exactly how it's being done? No, I'm only telling you the parts of the story that I do know and encouraging you to keep this in mind when you research your information and to maybe visit my website and look at some of these pages because, again, I think if someone doesn't want you to even see this information to make up your own mind, that makes it probably very important and something that you ought to read. We will change gears a little bit in a moment. I'm going to start a series where I go over, as we head into the 2020 election, what I call media mistakes in the era of Trump that some of you know I've been categorizing as carefully as I can. We will start going over some of those right after a break. We're back. Why look at media mistakes in the era of Trump? A lot of people argue that, well, President Trump has made so many mistakes, missteps, the media would call them lies. Why aren't you, why am I, not recounting all of those? Why am I looking at mistakes made by the media? Well, the point is, you know me, I'm not trying to just repeat what the rest of the media is doing and has done so often or so well or over and over again. You can search online and find all kinds of fact checks and lists about President Trump's mistakes, missteps, and lies, but not so many comprehensive lists about what the media has gotten wrong. And this is important to me as someone who looks at my own industry because we're self-appointed arbiters of truth. We're, we're saying what President Trump is doing wrong, but largely excusing what I see as our own unprecedented string of fact-challenged reporting, which tells quite a story. Maybe it didn't at first. Maybe there were a few things that could just be considered innocent or sloppy mistakes. But the fact is, formerly well-respected top news organizations, as you probably know, are making repeat, unforced errors in huge numbers that were unheard of just a couple of years ago. Definitely unheard of before President Trump. So I've been looking at those because the story it tells, I believe, is a story of a industry, my industry, that has transformed itself into something completely different than what it was a few years ago. Something that is less believed by the public with good reason, I think. We've created some of our own problems. It is not President Trump's fault, in my view, that our credibility is so challenged. I think despite what those we cover, despite their behavior, we should be holding ourselves to a separate independent standard as journalists. We shouldn't be using a sliding scale of ethics and standards in journalism based on who it is we're covering, and too often we've done that. So let's look at some of the notable mistakes and missteps, as I call them, in major media reporting on Donald Trump. And I'm going to start with the first few incidents. We'll go back to August of 2016 to November of 2016, in the months leading up to the election. And there was a lot done before that, yes, I know, but my list starts right about this time of the election. The New York Post published modeling photos of Trump's wife, Melania, 
and reported that the photos were taken in 1995. Well, why was this important? They relied on that date to imply that Melania, who's an immigrant, had violated her visa status at the time. Well, it turns out they got the date wrong. And Politico was among the news agencies that later issued a photo date correction and admitted that. Number two, October 1st, 2016, the New York Times and other media widely suggested or implied that Trump had not paid income taxes for 18 years. Later, tax return pages that were leaked to MSNBC ultimately showed that Trump actually paid a higher tax rate than Democrats Bernie Sanders and President Obama, at least on the pages that were released. Number three, October 18th, 2016, in a Washington Post piece that was not labeled opinion or analysis, Stuart Rothenberg reported that Trump's path to an electoral college victory was, quote, non-existent. Why is this important? Well, when you're giving an analysis or an opinion, that's just fine. But to do a piece as a straight news report, and so many were saying the same thing at the time, generating this perception and probably hoping to shape public opinion to make them think, that President Trump could never be President Trump. To say that the path to an Electoral College victory was non-existent, obviously completely wrong and irresponsible when it was not labeled as opinion or analysis. Number four, November 4th, 2016, Melania is the target again. USA Today misstated her arrival date from Slovenia amid a flurry of reporting that continued to question her immigration status from back in the mid-1990s. Number five, November 9th, 2016, early on election night, the Detroit Free Press called the state of Michigan for Hillary Clinton. Trump actually won Michigan. Number six, on January 20th, 2017, CNN claimed that Nancy Sinatra was not happy at her father's song, Frank Sinatra's song, being used at Trump's inauguration. Well, Nancy Sinatra responded. She tweeted out, That's not true. I never said that. Why do you lie, CNN? Actually, I'm wishing him, Trump, the best. On January 20th, 2017, same day, Zeke Miller of Time reported that President Trump had removed the bust statue of civil rights leader Martin Luther King Jr. from the Oval Office. That false report went viral. It wasn't true. And, you know, the correction came out. Uh, Zeke Miller finally tweeted the Martin Luther King bust is still at the Oval Office. It was obscured by an agent and door. But, of course, the correction never gets around as much as the original false report. Why was this one so critical, at least to me, this mistake? Because it shows that a major national media reporter made an assumption. Remember, he said the bust was obscured by an agent and a door. That was his excuse for the false report that it had been removed. Well, we're taught in journalism school, you don't look around a room and assume something and not check something out. That's the most irresponsible kind of reporting I can think of, that even a first-year journalism student shouldn't make. If he thought the bust had been removed, certainly he should have confirmed this by asking the White House or asking a source, getting a response, getting a comment, and then that false report wouldn't have circulated. But this fed into 
the notion and the narrative at the time that President Trump was or is racist, that he would remove Martin Luther King Jr.'s bust statue. Number eight, January 26th, 2017, Josh Rogan of the Washington Post reported the State Department's, quote, entire senior administrative team had resigned in protest of Trump. A number of media outlets ranging from politically left to right, including liberal-leaning Vox, stated that the claim was misleading or wrong. Number nine, January 28, 2017, CNN's John Harwood reported that the Justice Department supposedly, quote, had no input on an immigration executive order issued by Trump. After a news colleague contradicted Harwood's report, he amended it to reflect that Justice Department lawyers reportedly had reviewed Trump's order after all. Number 10, January 31st, 2017, Jeff Zeleny reported on CNN that the White House had set up Twitter accounts for two judges to try to keep Trump's selection for Supreme Court secret. The suggestion was there was some impropriety involved here. But Zeleny later corrected his report to state that the Twitter accounts had not been set up by the White House like he had reported. Number 11, February 2nd, 2017, TMZ reported Trump changed the name of Black History Month to African American History Month. And the report implied that the change was untoward or racist, again, playing into this notion, the narrative that people were trying to forward that President Trump is racist. Well, in fact, Presidents Obama, George W. Bush, and Bill Clinton had all previously called Black History Month, African American History Month, just like Trump. Number 12, on February 12, 2017, AP reported that Trump had threatened the president of Mexico with invasion to get rid of bad hombres. Numerous publications copied the story. The White House said it wasn't true, and the Washington Post ultimately removed the AP information that it said could not be independently confirmed. February 4th, 2017, Josh Rogan again over at the Washington Post. He reported on, quote, inside the White House cabinet battle over Trump's immigration order, only to have the article updated repeatedly to note that one of the reported meetings had not actually occurred that a conference call had not happened as described, and that actions attributed to Trump were actually taken by his chief of staff. Number 14, February 14, 2017, the New York Times' Michael Schmidt, Mark Mazzetti, and Matt Apuzo reported about supposed contacts between Trump campaign staff and senior Russian intelligence officials. Now Comey, the FBI director at the time, later testified, quote, in the main, the article was not true. I might add that this article came up again recently, and I have an article about this on my website and at justthenews.com as well, that talks about notes that were kept hidden until very recently, notes added to this article inside the FBI by former FBI official Peter Strzok, that took issue with at least nine points in this story attributed to anonymous American officials, current and former. 
There were a lot of problems with this article. I do not believe as of this moment, at least a search turned up, no corrections or retractions, despite Comey saying the article was not true and these newly released notes that were inexplicably kept classified until a few days ago. Anyway, no evidence of any mea culpa on the part of the New York Times for what has to rank as one of the most challenged articles, most fact-challenged articles I can think of, um, especially at what used to be a very reputable paper. Number 15, February 22, 2017, ProPublica's Raymond Bonner reported that CIA official Gina Haspel, Trump's later pick for CIA director, had been in charge of a secret CIA prison where an Islamic extremist terrorist had been waterboarded 83 times in one month and that she mocked the prisoner's suffering. Now think about this, very specific about her mocking. But more than a year later, ProPublica retracted the claim saying that none of those assertions was correct, that Haspel didn't even take charge of the base until after the interrogation of the extremist terrorist ended, so could not have mocked at the time his suffering. Number 16, April 5th, 2017, an article bylined by the New York Times graphic editors Karen Yurish and Tony Griggs referred to Trump's daughter Ivanka as Trump's wife. Why does that matter? Probably an honest mistake. It's so sloppy. We're talking the New York Times, not a college newspaper, that people would look at or mistake Trump's daughter for Trump's wife, and that nobody would pick this up. I think that just says a lot about the editorial controls at the Times as that paper has slipped. Number 17, May 10th, 2017, multiple outlets, including Politico, The New York Times, The Washington Post, CNN, AP Reuters, and The Wall Street Journal reported the very same leaked information that Trump fired FBI Director James Comey shortly after Comey requested additional resources to investigate Russian interference in the election. Again, the implication here is that Comey wants to beef up the Russian election, the Russian interference election against Trump, and gets fired for it because Trump has something to hide. The New York Times' Matthew Rosenberg and Matt Apuzo, same name as a previous mistake, and CNN's Sarah Murray, reported the information in sentences and paragraphs that omitted attribution as if it were an established fact. Why does this matter? Well, until pretty recently, reporters didn't state things that they had no firsthand knowledge of, as if they knew they knew it to be a fact. We always were taught to attribute the information to somebody else. That also protects you if there's a mistake made, at least you have said Somebody else told you it. You weren't trying to state it as a fact as if you knew it yourself. But this has all flown out the window. These reporters at the New York Times and at CNN were simply stating these events happened. The Washington Post's Philip Rucker, Ashley Parker, and Sari Horowitz and Robert Costa wrote news articles in the style of opinion pieces and from an omniscient viewpoint as if they were somehow in the mind of Trump. For example... They reported, quote, Every time FBI Director James B. Comey appeared in public, an ever-watchful President Trump grew increasingly agitated that the topic was the one he was most desperate to avoid, Russia. Now, again, I go back to 
we used to not be able to make up stuff like it sounds like it's from a novel in our own words as if we know it firsthand when we don't know. We don't know that President Trump grew increasingly agitated, that that's how he felt. We don't know that this was the topic he was most desperate to avoid if he hasn't stated it. You may theorize it. People may say so, and you can attribute that if they do. But as a reporter, you shouldn't be giving that opinion in your piece. You shouldn't be stating it as if it's a fact when it's your own opinion. Well, anyway, I've gone on a long time about this one article because ultimately the Justice Department, the Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein, and the acting FBI Director Andrew McCabe said all these media reports were untrue. The ones that said Comey was fired shortly after he requested additional resources to investigate Trump and Russia. In fact, they said that the FBI's Russia investigation was adequately resourced, and none of that happened. So all these reporters got it wrong, and all of them had made assumptions, sometimes without attribution, reporting them as fact, and were incorrect. The last one we will look at in this episode, the last media mistake in the era of Trump, is number 18, May 27, 2017, The BBC's James Landale, The Guardian, and others reported that Trump wasn't bothering to listen to the translation during a speech given in Italian by Italy's prime minister. They drew that conclusion that Trump was ignoring the translation, not bothering to listen, without asking the White House. Again, this harkens back to that time mistake made by the time reporter who mistakenly assumed the bust of the Martin Luther King statue had been removed from the Oval Office. Well, here, they drew the conclusion that Trump wasn't listening to translation based on a video showing other political leaders wearing large headphones at this event listening to the translation and Trump not wearing these big headphones. The Guardian even claimed that on this video, by looking at it, that Trump was fake listening, smiling and nodding, pretending to listen to a translation that he wasn't listening to at all. Well, after the reports were circulated, the White House stated that, as always, Trump was wearing an earpiece for the translation in his right ear. So he does not wear the giant headphones. He had an earpiece. He was not fake listening. And they were completely wrong. Again, making an assumption by looking at a piece of a video, something we are taught, used to be taught, as beginning journalists, Never look at a piece of video without the facts and assume things. There's often, if not always, more to the story. Secondly, they didn't ask the White House before they published their false assumptions. If they had called the White House and gotten the comment ahead of time, they would have realized their mistake and not have made it. So that is a look at the first 18 mistakes that I found, media mistakes in the era of Trump. I think it's important that we in the media be willing to look at this pattern, something that's really grown over the last couple of years. And I think it's important to viewers, listeners, and readers to understand when they're watching the news and reading online, they may not be getting the whole picture. In fact, they may be getting something that later turns out to be not true at all, not just out of context, but completely false. And I'm not sure we've adjusted our reporting to this reality that we've looked back and said, 
boy, we've gotten a lot of bad information from anonymous sources, therefore we should be more careful. I'm not sure we've said, we sure have reported a lot of incorrect things about President Trump. We better make sure we're following our standards and being more careful. It seems to me as we move into the 2020 election, we're still operating the same way we were. And I'll continue recounting these media mistakes in future episodes that I will try to label in the title. So if you're looking for them at justthenews.com in the Cheryl Ackeson podcast or at my other podcast, Full Measure After Hours, you should be able to find them more easily. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Check out justthenews.com and don't forget to subscribe to the Cheryl Ackeson podcast, leave a review, share with your friends, and check out my other podcast, Full Measure After Hours, and all of the Just the News podcasts wherever you like to listen. If you believe, like I do, that independent reporters are sort of a dying breed, I hope you'll consider supporting independent reporting by ordering my new book. It addresses the very topic that is so concerning and dear to many of us today. It's called Slanted, How the News Media Taught Us to Love Censorship and Hate Journalism. Slanted is available for pre-order on Amazon or anywhere you like to order right now. And it's coming out at the end of November. A great gift for yourself or for the holidays for people who you think want to hear more about the topics that I talk about and the decline of journalism in America today and the impact on all of us. Do your own research. Make up your own mind. Think for yourself.